this is Dan, and I have Brian with me. And this is part two of our anime sampler platter episode, where we had my brother Will give us four anime films to discuss. Check out part one for an introduction, as well as a discussion of Kick Heart and A Silent Voice. And now on to part two. So the third film that Will had us watch is entitled The House of Small Cubes. This is a 2008 short film directed by Kunio Katou, Katou, K-A-T-O-U. And I think it won the Oscar that year. Is that right? For animated short. Yep. Best animated short Oscar. And that's why I picked this one. Did you know this animator or the short prior to selecting it, Will? Um, I was just looking around for shorts because I, I figured I was going to do the because originally my plan was to do one feature film and like five or six shorts. But then I was like, yeah, we'll do two features and a couple of shorts. And um, when I was looking around for shorts, this was one that uh, came up several times uh, and I knew it, I knew it had won the uh, Oscar. So I was like, oh, they, these guys like their Oscar winners. So do we? We just like good movies. Yeah, maybe they, they tend to win Oscars. Yeah. 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 So. This one, I remember watching the Oscar ceremony that year. And so often with these shorts, at least pre-podcast era, you know, I'm not one of those guys over at Buzzed On Movies where they got to watch every Oscar movie every year. And I know, Dan, you came pretty close. Did you get every single Oscar nom this year, Dan, that you watched? No. The uh, the best picture noms? Was it going to be best picture noms or just all the Oscars? Uh, all the Oscars. It's like 45 films or something. So over there, it's they watch everything. But what about you, Dan? I, I you came close, didn't you? Yeah, I've seen I've seen like uh, two thirds of them, and I'm missing a few. But did you see all the Best Picture nominees? I saw all of them except Avatar Two, which I didn't want to watch until I watched Avatar One, and I still haven't seen Avatar One. So as soon as I watch Avatar One, I'll watch Avatar. I think 2. you're the only guy in the world who hasn't seen Avatar One. I, yeah. I wasn't watching. <laughs> well, that's not true. I was going to say I wasn't watching too many movies then. But didn't that come out in like 2009 nine or something? So I was watching a lot of movies then. So I don't know why. I didn't yeah. watch it. Well, Dan, I'll have to have you over and we can watch it 3D Blu-ray. So uh, you maybe, get the yeah. full experience. Do, is it the glasses? It's like the, the clear glasses or is it built in one of them 3D TVs? Yeah, well, it's a 3D TV, but it's not like a 3DS. Like, you still got to wear glasses, but they're, like, synced to the TV, and they do this active shutter thing where they're, like... Wait, so are they, like, electronic? Yeah, it's it's not a red-blue. Oh, my God. What? Not a red-blue? It's pretty interesting. It's different from at a movie theater where, presumably, the projector is doing that with the... Yeah. Can you watch Spy Kids 3D Game Over on uh, that 3D TV? So, good question, because I did just that. Uh, that still is the DVD that came with the red and blue glasses, because that's how uh. it worked in the movie theater. No, that's, I mean, that's the authentic experience. It was Anaglyph back in 2003. Right, I remember seeing that one. So, that's the way that you gotta do Which it. Which has... Those have the all-time classic uh, joke you make, which is when you put on the 3D glasses, you say, wow, I can see in 3D, uh, which I think my brother Brad makes ev made every single time we would see a movie in 3D. <laughs> but yeah. What was I going to say? You talk about the Oscars. Oh, yes. The shorts, the Oscars. So I watched the ceremony that year and pre- making any effort to actually track down movies and watch them what you get especially with those shorts that are harder to find and learn about like you just get that little five second clip of and the nominees are house of small cubes and you get this little blurb and so ever since i've been wondering what is this movie because that's a great title house of small cubes yeah uh, it was not in the end what i had been picturing for years and i think that <laughs> is gonna sell it a little bit short <laughs> wait before we get into it, what were you expecting? I thought it would involve a sculptor, somebody like uh, making cubes or I guess he does build onto the house, but there just there weren't too many cubes. I was expecting a lot of cubes. Bricks are not cubes. I don't know what this uh, title is going on about. You see him build a house out of bricks, but bricks are not cubes. Yeah, it's it's like it's more a house of many stories. So let's dive into it here. So it follows a lonely old man. He in this town that is completely flooded and it's not just flooded but like i guess rising 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 and yeah so he has to 
the way that he the only way he can live is by building more stories up and up and up on top of his house because then it floods the level below it floods and so we see his day to day he's he's by himself he spends time plastering the brick bricks putting the bricks on and he's got to go fishing and all this stuff and one day he is doing his stuff and he drops his pipe into the water in his house and the pipe goes sinking down all the stories so okay he's got to go get his pipe because that's one thing he had been doing in every moment up until then as he had been smoking his pipe that's clearly part of his routine as he smokes his pipe so he gets on this diving gear and he dives in and i thought this was a genius construction as he swims down to get it because the water has been going up over time he reminisces of his lifetime in backwards order so we see him with a older woman who's a wife and some adult kids and then now they're young kids and then he goes lower and lower and at some point he's even envisioning the time before there was a flood and it was just him and this we see his courtship so it's basically the opening to up this predates up by the way by a year yeah oh interesting when he's a kid he meets this girl and they have their image that they have is they're like running around a tree chasing each other and then it like we see them doing that progressively older and like as tiny kids and then as and then uh as you know teens and then they get married and yeah and it's it's basically just this little 10 to 12 minutes short of him um remembering all of that and then he he does get his pipe now completely underwater completely by himself completely quiet not no longer the noisy house with his kids and then he swims up to the top and what does he have to do? He has to keep building his house. And this is where it really strikes you that the higher you go up, not only is it higher up, lonelier, lonelier, but each time you do it, you're building on top of it. And so it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And so he's building his, his smallest room yet. And yeah, you can just kind of see out into the distance. It's a flood with these other few houses of people who are still living this life too in this flood town right and it seems like the neighbors have kind of tapered off too like under the water you know the further down you go there's more houses in the neighborhood but up at the very top like fewer people have stuck it out yeah right i was gonna say the water to me is like a symbol of the passage of time and you get the because he's a very old man you get the other houses that have not made it quite to the point where he is at so it's like uh maybe the families like the people died or whatever so he's he's still hanging on there but uh yeah and the other thing you mentioned dan where the house gets narrower and narrower i uh, agree but it's interesting because the first level is very narrow when it's just him and his wife Mm. but then as they they build the family it gets much wider and then they become adults and they uh they eventually move out so it's just him and his wife again so it gets wider and then it gets narrower again right yeah i was wondering are we meant to believe that the flood is real or is it some kind of metaphor? At first, I was thinking, oh, it's like dementia or something. It's like he's forgotten these things. Um, but then I was wondering, is it just time or is there really a flood? And I wasn't sure what to decide. Uh, I think taking it too literally is probably it's like not some apocalyptic visage of like global warming era Earth. No, but I to me, like I said, to me, I read it as like the passage of time and him going down into it is kind of a. A, a trip down memory, not lane, but memory well, or memory lake. I don't know. Well, I think it's, I mean, a little A, a little B, like it's, we see him very much grappling with the physical realities of the flood. And so it's not like strictly a symbolic thing it, because it does have like a practical effect on him. And I think that's part of, for me, at least what worked is like, he has to like continue to just as we have to continue living through moment to moment, powering through life, even when things are bleaker and we're lonelier and, you know, time is all dilated and weird because we're, we've lived so much of life. You still got to do it. You still got to do the routine of, of living life. And we see him doing these physical things to, that he has to do to keep his life going. Up is a really great comparison because he's got this fantastical house and this mm-hmm. this kind of super above average existence. But 
it's tethered to this experience that everybody has of the passage of time. Right. Yeah. I think uh, the, 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 the mundane sort of day to day keep building up the house is uh, maps onto the like when you're thinking about it as the passage of time, it maps onto it pretty well because you're like, well, if we keep uh, you got to keep moving. And if you don't, you'll be overtaken by the current more or less. Um, the animation in this one is interesting. I pegged it as, I think, colored pencils with with some watercolors in there. I'm not 100 yeah, percent sure. Yeah, felt very like uh, like a like a watercolor or like a, like a children's book is what it felt like to me. Yeah, I can see that. If um, I didn't know anything about it, I would not have guessed it was Japanese. No, I agree. Uh, so the title on the opening card is French, and this really seems like a European animation. Yeah, it might be it might be adapted from like a French book or something like that. That that might be the case, but uh, yeah. Uh, definitely the animation style is not what it's not like it's not like a silent voice which is a very overtly a uh, traditional anime aesthetic uh yeah um the other thing is the music is phenomenal i really like the sort of piano score mm-hmm. as yeah. he's going down and up and that's another thing that had me thinking of up because in up you have that uh, at least the opening segment you have that beautiful score by michael Yakino, I don't know how you say his his name, that kind of tells the story as much as what you're seeing. And I agree, the music here does nearly as much of the storytelling. And there's no no talking in this one, because he's all by himself. Yes, that too. No dialogue. And if you guys found this interesting, actually, regardless of whether you found this interesting... I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> you should go watch the Netflix stop-motion film called The House... It's actually an anthology of three short films and one feature length film. And one of them, this made me think of quite a bit because it involves like a somewhat apocalyptic thing. Um, That one ties it more to the afterlife. I didn't really feel afterlife in this one, but with a kind of similar setup that had me wondering if they had seen this when they, they made that stop motion one. But, um, all of the shorts in that one are good. It's it's more horror-y. It's like not heavy horror, but it's it's kind of horror-y. But I, I think horror. you guys would like the house. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I don't think there's too much else to say. You get the he gets the wine glass at the bottom where he remembers like drinking wine with his wife, and then the conclusion shot is him pouring a glass of wine for his deceased wife and uh, clinking the glasses or whatever, which I thought was a, a pretty uh, cute image to end on. Yeah. So I gather from tone, I think I like this one more than you guys like this one. This one really worked for me. Oh, I like I like I like this one quite a bit, but I mean, it's just a short. So there's not there's not as much as I can say about it. Obviously, I'm, I was very heavy on like I was high on um, a silent voice. But um, yeah, this one, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, but it's just there's no dialogue. It's just really the imagery and the audio. So I don't know how much I can uh, say. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in kind of a complicated place like. I get it. I I I like it. Positive sentiment, but it didn't blow me away. Okay. Uh it which I think largely is cuz I had been thinking about it like in the back of my mind for so many years and it just wasn't quite what I expected. <laughs> yeah. Well, that happens, yeah. I would say if we did a uh a straight up uh comparison between this 12-minute short and Kickheart, which is also approximately a 12-minute short, I probably appreciated this one a little bit more. I'd, just for because much less bdsm in this one <laughs> in fact i would go so far as to say none <laughs> and that's why i can't give it full marks <laughs> that was actually in brian's mind it was all bdsm all the time <laughs> no leather gear in this one yeah what if instead of a, a wine glass at the bottom you found a whip would that change your uh <laughs> would that change your perspective <laughs> no i actually i do have this one a little ahead of Kickheart. Anything else? No, I, I don't. I've said my piece. I, I also just I found it very touching. I mean, the same way I find the opening to up touching. I found this very touching. And like when it would flash between him swimming down in this bleak, empty water log space to what this place was like when people lived there as kind of like a memory thing. It worked for me every time it did it. So it it. It jolted me yeah, emotionally. It was, right. It was. It's also like 
it, there's a sequence in a movie called Allegro non troppo where this happens. It's like the Italian Fantasia, that it's a very similar thing, like wandering through the abandoned house and remembering the life that was lived there. Uh, they also did it in the creepy Garfield strips that one Halloween where he like wakes up in his house. Mm, yeah. Well, and that that uh, anthology film, The House, is all about the way that humans relate to houses and like how the relationship between a person and a space in some ways contrasts in some ways mirrors the relationship between a person and the other people who live in that space is kind of the unifying theme. Very evocative use of the uh, sort of changing landscape of the house reflected on the sort of changing landscape of life. So I, I definitely, I didn't say, I don't have much to say about it, but I, uh, it didn't not work for me. I, I, I quite enjoyed it. Like I said, I was a big fan of the music. The I really like the art style, actually. I don't know if I, I made that clear enough, but I'm a big fan of the art style. It's very um, wistful, almost. Uh, yeah, it's like sepia-toned. Mm -hmm. Especially when it goes to the memories and you get the same space overlaid in a sort of uh, washed out, uh, like the way you imagine a memory being like like sepia. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the paper is kind of brownish. It's like the whole thing is like on a like a lunch bag or something or like old parchment. But that is The House of Small Cubes, the third of the four films that we are discussing in this anime sampler that Will has brought for us. The fourth film is a feature film entitled Red Line from 2009, directed by Takeshi Koike. Koike? It's K-O-I-K-E, right? Koike, yeah. 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 It's a name of one of my old vice principals. It was Koike. Anyway. So this film, it's a racing movie, I'll say. It's a sci-fi movie. It takes place in a sort of interplanetary sci-fi future but it's not just that. It's also like cartoonish because there's like talking dogs and wacky aliens and cyborgs that act like stereotypical cyborgs and stuff. Uh, my favorite is the title card at the beginning. It's like in a future where hover cars have come to replace regular cars. There's still one race left over. And it's the, the red line. It's just like such a goofy. It's like not no politics. It's just hover cars. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So it's it's like quite a few things kind of in a blender. Uh, so it's pod racing, but it's also the way that like each character gets introduced and gets their own like little like commercial for them. It, it's like wacky racers with Dick Dastardly and uh, and Peter Perfect and Penelope Pitstop. It's like Rick and Morty. The way that like the aliens are just completely out there and they all kind of exist like by their own rules. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just all kinds of different scales of things uh, and just like things that you look at an object like a plumbus in Rick and Morty and you don't even know what it's supposed to do. It's So it's kind of got that like otherworldly, totally different reality thing of like Fantastic Planet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you get you get glimpses of like Akira and like... Uh stuff like that in there as well and the visuals uh the animation has like these really thick black outlines and like dark areas of shadow uh that's kind of like um beautiful joe or jojo's bizarre adventure yeah, it's almost like cell shaded it feels like almost uh, right. right yeah i mean on the note of the animation the animation in this one is just it's off the charts it like it's extremely stylized so i don't know if beautiful is the right word but like just bravure a piece of technical animation i could tell that it was no or low cgi and it might have been like digitally painted but it wasn't like cgi in the sense that anything was like modeled with computers like this was done by hand and it shows like everything is so fluid and connected and active and it's like beyond old school disney okay it's probably not beyond old school disney but it's like it said um the wikipedia page says there's more than a hundred thousand hand-drawn frames for the uh film boggles the mind yeah i think that's like about i've I've heard these numbers cited before i feel like the the record holder is akira the unofficial record holder i think that was one hundred and forty thousand or something like that mm -hmm. because one frame isn't just one cell it's like a bunch of different cells that you move in different 
ways with each other. Right. But yeah, like the bodies and the limbs and the faces are extra stretchy and flappy and they're always kind of moving. Yeah, and there's like there's like dribbling and sputtering and bouncing around between like the like at the beginning when you've got the guy the, the kid yelling at his dad to open the camera or whatever and he's just like tugging on him. Yeah, and everybody's yeah, they're like twitching or looking around. There's everything is always in motion. I know, yeah. But yeah, it follows this race called the Red Line, which is the ultimate most galactic prestigious race and our our hero is this fella named jp oh i listened to the dub on this one and the dub is horseshit it's very bad (laughs) oh i thought the dub was great really i thought everybody gave in really emotional performances i thought it was outrageously cartoony Uh uh-huh uh, I mean, I guess that's not necessarily bad, given the content. It kind of fits the content. Yeah, I felt that's what was called for. But the Japanese dub is actually, it's it's almost, it's it's probably subdued by comparison, because it's, it's act, I quite like the Japanese dub. But yeah, do, do they call him Sweet JP in the English? Yes. Sometimes, sometimes just JP, but yeah. Yeah, it, it's Sweet JP's like his nickname. I'm curious, how did they translate Cherry Boy Hunter? That's what they said, was Cherry Boy Hunter. Do you know what that means? So cherry boy is a Japanese slang word for virgin. So uh, like popping your cherry. So her name is Virgin Hunter. That's her like nickname. Uh, okay. Interesting. And so this guy, JP, he looks like a JRPG Fonzie or something. Got the pompadour. <laughs> yeah, the hair that like sticks out and um, kind of like a generic cool guy look to him. Yeah, what I was thinking was um, Spike, the main guy from Cowboy Bebop. Okay. A little bit. He's got the the switchblade comb as well that he always uses to comb his hair. Right. Yeah. I love a good switchblade comb. And he's the only one who drives a car. Everybody else has got like a spaceship type vehicle. JP's is just a car. Yeah. <laughs> the contrast is hilarious. Just a car. I, I I realized that that was a gag as the movie was going on. It's like they talk about how outrageous his thing is, and it's just a car. <laughs> it's like okay, everybody else has got this other stuff. He's just driving a car. He's a pure racer. He doesn't want any weapons or any any of that crap on his. Uh, there's the one quote where he says, "Red Line is a race, not a war." So keep that crap off my machine. When he's talking about the weapons, <laughs> I'm gonna use that quote next time security at work wants me to install some software. <laughs> keep that crap off my machines. <laughs> Red- but the movie opens in medias race get it nice uh in uh, the middle of a a race called the yellow line which is the feeder into the red line so we're in like the last qualifiers and we learn that jp is kind of in cahoots somewhat reluctantly with this mafia ring that bets on these races and basically isn't throws the races so He's supposed to lose the race, get in second. That's what the mafia wants him to do for the big bucks. But he like is like, nah, I'm going to win this race because he's a racer at heart. We know that he's a racer at heart. And uh, he's got this like mechanic slash crew chief slash manager, this guy named Frisbee. Yeah, Frisbee. And he's a kind of alien dude, but also a G. I don't know. And he... uh, he has a detonator, so he he blows it up to prevent JP from winning. So he almost wins, but he doesn't win. Yeah, but he, he makes it look like that it's like uh, he just overtaxed the machine or whatever. But actually, no, it was blown up by Frisbee, his buddy. Right. And who ends up winning is uh, this racer named Sonashi, I think it's pronounced. And she is this competitor of JP's, but they have this long relationship and they kind of have the sexual tension and it seems like JP probably has a a thing for her, but they're also not an item. So they just kind of are constantly competing with each other in a sort of flirty way. Yeah. I got the feeling that JP remembered Sonoshi, but she doesn't know who he is. Like he remembers her from the time he saw her in a race earlier, but she wasn't aware of what, of like uh, him from before. So that that was the feeling I got, but I could Mm -hmm. be wrong. And so he's, He's injured in his accident and despondent, of course, because, you know, he's got this life where he has he's to the whims of the mafia. He can't win the races and he can't do the red line, which he really wants to do. But then it the news breaks that this year the red line is on 
a planet called Robo World. I like that it's just that direct. It's called Robo World. <laughs> Robo World. And Robo World is like a military dictatorship led by this crazy android president who hates Redline. He's going to blow up Redline if Redline comes. And which is funny because Redline's a race, but he's going to destroy Redline. Although we learned this means the mothership that that holds the the racers. But but I mean, this is like if the Olympics announced that next year we're going to be in North Korea and they don't get to say it one way or another whether this is going to happen. <laughs> I know. It's so funny. It's like that's not the way that sporting events really usually work. Also, the, the, the Robo World like insignia is clearly like a half-baked swastika. It's like a, it's like a three-pronged swastika instead of a four-pronged one. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, so they're like, they're like Nazis more or less. Right on a little white circle, you know. And then they, they have to like smuggle in all of the uh, the racers because Robo World's like, no, no red line here. And they're like, oh, we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really like every time it cuts back to this uh, military headquarters where they're planning their next move. Um, they have this big map that's like a hologram and the officers start walking around inside the hologram. So like to look closer at something on the map, they just like step down into the laser pool. And they're wading around in it, which was another cool bit of animation. Absolutely. Um, but because Robo World and its government is going to blow up Redline, a bunch of the racers don't want to be blown up. So they withdraw from Redline. And so now there's an opening and JP, for whatever reason, gets one of the spots. It's a popularity vote, I think, is what they say, where he because he had because he almost won and then blew up right before he was popular. So, uh. Plus, he, his car is so strange. <laughs> and so it's him versus Sonashi versus six other teams. So it's an eight. It's like Mario Kart. And uh, the main rival, we, we do get to meet some of the other ones, but the main rival is this guy named Machine Head, who I guess he's uh, also part Android, but he think he's the reigning champ, they say. Also, too. he has the best theme song that comes in the background whenever he shows up. It's like, Machine Head! <laughs> yeah, he's like a man car. He, he plugs into his machine and he's part of it. So as they're prepping for the, the big race, the red line, they're on this moon called, I think it's Yerps. E-U-R-P-P-S is how it's spelled, at least when I looked it up, trying to identify the name of this place. Yeah, in the dubs, they said Europass. Okay. That's that's how they said it in the English in the English dub. That makes sense. Isn't that a racing thing, Europass? I feel like it is. I don't know about that stuff. I could be wrong. Looks like it's a tool used for making... What's the line? Uh, it's uh... I keep that crap off my machine. Yeah. <laughs> Red line's a race, not a war. Yeah, I think th this conversation kind of demonstrates... I don't know if it's worth trying to absorb all of the details because it's so almost like spastic about everything. Yeah, it's it's an assault on the senses. You don't need every detail. You get this, the, the hilarious scene where they go to the restaurant and then the military shows up and blows up the restaurant more or less. And the, the crying guy's like fighting machine head. And then he's like, a JP goes to stand up to the military and then just gets knocked out immediately. I'm like, I don't know what the hell is going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of the officers has the the characteristic that if he starts crying it like boosts his strength he's super strong <laughs> if he starts to cry and then one of the other racers like abandoned the military so he really hates like hates them or like has a grudge against them or something like that i don't know yeah there's some side characters who are there mostly for a couple of gags and i couldn't quite keep remember who they all were but it was fun it's a very busy movie yeah there's this one colonel who has the same pompadour haircut with JP, which gave me the false hope that we were going to have a one-on-one -on -one showdown between them. It's like a metal pompadour, isn't it? It's like, it's like, uh, he looks like Optimus Prime. <laughs> it's right. It's like, it's encased like metal. He looks like yeah. Optimus Prime, I thought, because he's got like the red and blue thing going on with the sort of a gray face. And there's this thing that I, I guess is supposed to be a gag. I guess the, the line between a gag and just something that's part of the ridiculous plot that it does straight faced. I don't know where the line is, but when he's training his car just keeps blowing up and he gets a new one he keeps crashing it he's like oh we got this brand new hot engine and then it like he drives it to test it out and immediately crashes it and that happens like three times all of his cars blow up 
I think literally every single car he drives blows up. The only thing that doesn't is the motorcycle that he drives. When he's like uh, driving her back. Yeah, you get the uh, the the Chekhov's gun with her Sonoshi's necklace as well after the uh, restaurant scene with like her shiny necklace. Right. Right, because they have these little pellets that are are boost moves on the car. There's it's it's super nitro. I forget what they call it. It's a uh, it, it has some funky name. It has a name. Yeah. I, I think that's right. Something with nitro in the name. No, it, it has a name. I forget what it's called, but... But then the thing that she has is like a steam... Steam gem or a steam something. Yeah, that's what yeah, I'm Hers is of. like a special super duper one that they can only use at the end right. of the movie. Spoiler slash... I don't think that you can even call that a spoiler. As soon as that's introduced, you know that's happening. <laughs> yeah. Right. But Machine Head has one too, so it's not too much of yeah. a game breaker. Yeah, he's got his, his he calls it his platinum nitro is what he calls it, his platinum nitro. He's like got it in his body or something. So Robo World, they have a Death Star laser. And so they're prepping the Death Star laser to shoot Redline, the mothership. They're just it's like I'm gonna shoot the Olympics <laughs> when the Olympics gets here. Except it's Redline. <laughs> I'm going to blow up the Olympic torch. <laughs> Except it gets sabotaged or something. It wasn't quite clear who was sabotaging it, but it gets sabotaged. One of the racers sabotages it. Okay, one of the racers. Gotcha. And so it it the Death Star laser doesn't work, and they're able to start the race. They're doing red line through Robo World, even though Robo World doesn't want them there. So they're like shooting bullets at them, and they're like racing through the bullets as they do it and stuff. It's pretty funny. You've got the magic princess who shows up to draw the finish line or whatever. It's like there's all... it's. It's very bizarre and not very, uh, there's not much preamble to anything that happens. It kind of just happens. Yeah. One of the teams is a pair of women named Boy Boy and Bos Bos, which, uh, from what I've been led to understand, uh, are onomatopoeia for bouncing breasts in anime. I didn't know that, but that that's pretty funny. And that's the source of their name. Yeah, and they're like idols. Makes and, sense. I figured it was something like that. And their car is shaped like a woman. Yeah, yeah, they like form and, up into a mech of a woman and like each each of them is in a breast. Yeah, their cockpits are the uh, the woman's breast and they shoot like lasers at the uh and they've got the this like it's almost catchy but almost grating theme song that plays in the background whenever they're like dancing or whatever. All along the way we're seeing the media coverage as much as the events themselves. Maybe not as much, but certainly quite a bit of it, which definitely heightens the satirical postmodern flavor of what we're seeing. Um, which I thought was kind of fun, like seeing how the media is covering these things, which we, we've already been joking about how they talk about how his car is ridiculous when it's the most normal of the one. Um, and then we learned that part of the reason the robo world is so anti red line is because if people are racing through their world, they're going to discover that they have a secret, as they call it, biological weapon. But it's basically just a kaiju that they have. They have like a kaiju that they they can activate. activate. And the name of their biological weapon is Funky Boy. They've got Funky Boy underground, tucked away. And they have to wake up Funky Boy. That's like their last resort. That's their A-bomb. Their weapon of mass destruction they're not supposed to have. Look, there's like the laborers or the terrorists. And the way it actually gets woken up is so funny because the guy like... So one of the racers is drilling underground and then another racer is like latched onto their back and they're like, are we far enough? We're probably past the minefield now. So they dig up underneath and they crash through Funky Boy's egg and wake him up. It's bizarre. <laughs> yeah, so, so Funky, Funky Boy comes to life, but then they activate the Death Star and they shoot the Death Star laser at Funky Boy and it destroys Funky Boy. But it also destroys the racers because the racers are near Funky Boy. Except some of them survive. Mainly, JP survives. I think they all survive, but, like, Sonoshi's car gets wrecked. Yeah, so Sonoshi, you're right. So Sonoshi, she has to, her car is destroyed, so she needs to join JP now. So now they're they're like, all right, we're going to do it together. We're going to get to the finish line together. We're going to beat Machine Head. And Machine Head survives, of course, too, because it's going to come down to, to JP and Sonoshi versus Machine Head. Machine Head! Also, for, for Funky Boy comes back to life at one point. Yeah, he can reassemble himself. He's like a combination of Dr. Manhattan from Watchmen and Godzilla. He's like this walking piece of the sun. Yeah, I thought he was a, a reference to Akira because he's like a big baby. And if you've seen at the end of Akira, there's the giant like flesh baby that uh, 
what uh, uh what's his name Tetsuo Tetsuya something one of, one of the characters becomes a giant flesh baby at the end of Akira so I thought this was a, a reference to that also it's the most jarring tone shift when Funky Boy shows up it's like all of a sudden this apocalyptic horror movie I'm like what the hell happened here I thought this was a race <laughs> yeah I mean the the sense is that anything can happen at any time in this movie right but then the way that they finally take down Funk. Oh, also, it was kind of funny. Like, we forgot that he can reassemble himself or something like that. It's like, you. <laughs> he can regenerate. Oh, we forgot. <laughs> the, the They're kind of bumbling. They're like, did you say scramble all units? Yeah. It's like, yeah, scramble all units. And then immediately they blow up their whole arm. They're like, how many units do we have left? 16. <laughs> <laughs> and then. The the commander, or no, sorry, the colonel, the guy who has the metal haircut, he somehow like inhabits, I don't exactly even know what it is, like some weapon or something, and he takes down Funky Boy. Big Lizard Cthulhu, and he's like fighting with Funky Boy while uh, the race continues. Again, not very well yeah. <laughs> explained. <laughs> but then we kind of get to the climax here, and so the climax is head-to-head, who's going to cross the finish line first? JP and Sanoshi or Machine Head. And it now mirrors what we saw at the beginning with the yellow line where, oh, JP is supposed to throw the race, but he doesn't want to throw the race. But the mafia wants him to. And he has a detonator again. But now, hold on. Frisbee. His his buddy. What's the name of the guy? Frisbee? Frisbee uh, is like, this time I'm going to let him win this time. And so then they fight over the detonator. Oh, yeah, one guy we've forgotten to mention completely is the junk dealer, who's, like, the third member of their team. But, yeah, he shows up with a gun. Yeah, he's, he's got a bunch of arms. You know Spirited Away? He looks like the uh, the coal guy in Spirited Away. He has the same sort of uh, hunched-over, many-armed body design. Anyway. Okay, yeah. And he accidentally sets off the detonator. And when the detonator goes off now, they're blown up, but they're, like, flying forward, and Machine Head and who. It's like it propels them just enough far enough forward that they are the ones who cross the finish line first. And what crosses the finish line? It's his pompadour. That's the thing that he wins by. Yeah, that's the thing. The, the tiebreaker. Perfect. Yeah. I didn't even think about it that way, but it is. I guess the red line, they were okay with Sonoshi just being like, yeah, I'm going to join JP now. Because at the end, they're like, they're like, Sonoshi and JP win. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it made me think of we had this issue with Luca. Also, Cars 3. It's like, oh yeah, Cars 3, they did that too. You can't just change the arrangement of the competition. Did you guys notice that they could all always hear each other? It's like they like if they're in the cockpit and he turns and says something through the window, the other guy next to him could for some reason hear him. Huh. It was it, always. Well, maybe they have some kind of, you know, helmet mic or uh, something. Transmitter, yeah. <laughs> what it made me think of was um, I was friends with a racing fan in early in high school. And so he, I learned some about NASCAR back in the day. I've never actually been that much of a fan of NASCAR, but there was a famous race around that time. It was the 2003 Carolina Dodge Dealers 400-mile race. And uh, there's a famous picture of how close that race was. It was 0.002 seconds difference. And you can barely see one car ahead of the other if you look at the the screenshot. So maybe I'll upload that to the discord, which everyone can join at the goods film podcast.com. But yeah. So after they, they win the race, JP and Sanoshi kiss. They're now the champions. They're both champions, I guess, even though they started the race as competitors, everybody just accepts their co-champions. Yeah. And also it ends with them being like, I love you, JP. It's like, so over the top. It's just, I love you, JP. I love you, Sanoshi. Yeah. They're like floating in the air, making out. (laughs) But what I liked is that all the other racers, like, as soon as the race ends, it, like, I don't even know if they all finish. They just, like, all stop, and they're all sitting there on the track, just, like, leaning back, enjoying the, the moment. It's like, wow, <laughs> we have a great job. They're, like, sweaty. Uh, none of them died. All of the racers made it to the end, I'm pretty sure. So what are some of our thoughts on this one? Uh, obviously, it's beautiful. I love the music. I love maybe my favorite scene is when they're introducing all the other racers and you get these individual soundtracks get you and it's like i i said this uh i sent this to you guys in a message before but to me it feels like a crossover movie but without all of the explanation for who is crossing over because like all of the racers have their own like personality i like that yeah 
and uh, background song. You've got, like, the corrupt gorilla cop. You've got, like, the two superhero people who are, like, Batman and Robin, I guess. And the two other people from Earth who hate the gorilla cop. And then, like, obviously, JP and Sonoshi and Machine Head. And it's, it's just, like, all over the place. And it's uh, it's very, uh... You could have a robo-world one. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, 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 the crying guy joins the race as well. He just joins. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think that's another thing that happens. He's like, I'm just sorry, sorry, Colonel, but I'm going to join the race now. It's like, I guess he's joining Redline. <laughs> and also, I love how there's just no like, is Redline a political organization? Is it just this one ship that flies around? Is it like, um, have you played a, a you know Mass Effect? Do you know the Citadel is like this ancient technology that's been there forever? Maybe that's what Redline is. It's the eternal race that can never, uh, uh, never go away. Oh, interesting. The Eternal Race. I like that. It's the space race. Obviously, the title Redline is cute because redlining a car is when you do too many RPMs and it goes into the red zone. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow, I didn't even think of that, but that's pretty obvious. Yeah, and the animation's obviously fantastic. Very expressive and, like, you just took so much emphasis on everything and it's like... The world building is bombastic without any explanation, which I can appreciate. Um, I would read an extended Redline Universe novel... Uh, probably, I don't know. I, I am a big fan of, it just tries everything and, uh, some like it, it usually works. Yeah. The one thing that probably takes me out of the movie is the bizarre tone shift when funky boy shows up. I like it, but I was just like, this is what happened. Like what's going on? What happened to the race? Suddenly we're nuking the minefield. It's like, okay, I guess. What's the line again? Red line's a race, not a war. Keep that crap off my machine. <laughs> Red line's a race, not a war. So Funky Boy shouldn't be in it, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I liked him as something like a, another card that they could pull out. And then, of course, he's uncontrollable, so then they got a, another chaotic element they got to deal with. Funky Boy was the the Ferris wheel fight of this movie. <laughs> From uh, Silent Voice, the, the, the third act uh, <laughs> sudden drama. Oh, yeah. I, I actually, I liked Funky Boy, and I liked what they did with him visually. But it was so abrupt, not even just like the tone of it, but it was like, well, we have Funky Boy. Oh, no, here's Funky Boy. Well, we got to shoot Funky Boy, but he's dead. Oh, well, now he resurrected him. It's just like none of it had any basis. I was like, what is what is going on right now? Yeah, it's a very, very busy movie. Um, just constantly things happening. And that's the charm and also like the nature of the beast. Yeah. So there's always, you know, 50 things going on. I will say, even in spite of the how we're kind of describing it as anything goes, it still like very much has its own visual style. Like it really feels like a whole with like the way that it uses colors that are kind of like sort of neon, but like also it's a little bit like um, the Spider-Verse movie. Not really, but in the way that it kind of feels like kind of out of control, but still actually in control by the people who make it and how it, it kind of has some things going on visual ideas tying them together and yeah i mean just it's just so fun to watch because it's so well animated and and so exciting and kinetic i guess is the right word yeah but so i mean it's not a bad thing but i was never under any illusion that anything was going to happen besides jp winning the race and also there was no chance like whenever there was an explosion or anything like that i was like jp's gonna be fine like it was one of those movies where there's there's such a core thrust to it it's like this is you know what's going to happen but that doesn't mean it's not going to be entertaining until the end chump bait right although i do like the ending was just it the the the, just the little love popping up on in the middle of the screen it's just like i was like i don't know like I like it, but I was like, this is just so corny. But it's, you know, it's fun in that way. It's I, I can't say that's a bad thing. Who's the dude who was like in the, his head was in the computer. It was like, the computer was like perpendicular. I think he was with the robo world. Yeah, he was the guy controlling the space station. And his got the pompadour too, but it's like a computer he, screen. I think he was controlling the space station, maybe? His like head was buried in the machine. He was one of the robo world guys, I think. One thing that I thought in particular the animation did really well is capturing speed. I thought it was terrific at. Yeah, the way they stretch. Yeah, I like the way they would stretch any time that they did the boost. And things kind of shake some and like effects whizzing by. Like it really feels like you're going a thousand miles an hour, you know? Yeah, they're really pressed into each other. Or the car will like fishtail for a while before it gets control of the new boost and then it'll straighten out. 
Remember when he skips across the water? His car, he does the first nitro and he's spinning really fast and he just skips across the water. It's like, all right, I guess. I think that alone would just kill you. It's like, well, he's dead. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh. Oh, maybe JP is Jesus. Ah, JP, G- G- Jesus Christ. Walking on water. <laughs> Jesus <Yeah>. Christ. <laughs> Oh, there's also one thing that didn't mention that I thought was really funny. Early on, when JP's in the hospital, he has like a flashback of the time he saw this guy in a convertible with two girls with him. Do you remember that guy? At one point, that guy leans over and kisses both girls at once, which I thought was very funny. The double kiss. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's like what inspired him to be a racer, I think. It's like you can kiss two girls at once. (laughs) Like office space. Yeah, also, you guys both said you watched the dub. You guys both watched the dub. I... Mm -hmm. I thought the sub performances were really good. There's a few moments uh, that I really like the voice acting in it. The Japanese voice, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Japanese dub, that is. Um, but yeah, I love, the, I love the soundtrack, the Machine Head song, and like the Idol song that comes out when they're like dancing and blowing up uh, ships in the middle of the race, and the Gorilla Gorilla Cop who has his like motorbike tucked in the back of his. Uh, like the the brief character interaction of the the gorilla cop was so funny when he's seen like beating up a criminal and then the news is like, what do you say about uh, the fact that you're having an affair with one of your officers? And then he starts beating up the news guy as well. <laughs> <laughs> Very funny. Yeah. Anything else? I think I've said my piece. Yeah, I'm interested to know what y'all thought, whether these movies were good. Yeah. So I guess we will then transition to our signature section, Is It Good?, where we each give the movie a rating on our eight-point goodness scale, ranging from very not good, a one out of eight, to our masterpiece rating, toward to good, an eight out of eight. So, Brian, is Kickheart from 2013, the short film about BDSM, weirdly sexually charged wrestling, good? I'm going to call this one good-ish, which is what we've termed four out of eight. So, like, I like it. It's a it's a brisk watch. The animation is very dynamic. It's a little odd. Definitely, it was giving me flashbacks to Boyka, mm. but, like, in, a, in an animated, fetishistic way. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was pretty good. Um, so... I could uh, maybe be enticed to raise it a little bit, but I am going to stick with four, I think. Cool. What about you? So I, I kind of, I sometimes have a hard time figuring out how to rate short films in general, because it's like just by their nature, you can follow one specific idea and be about that idea. And you don't really need to serve like a broader narrative. And so it's just kind of hard. So I'm going to give this one a good because I think its animation is really terrific and just it's fun to watch these this crazy wrestling scene and even the goofy hijinks are are fun enough and like animated in an interesting way. My good the good comes mostly from just my admiration of the the animation itself and the energy it brings to the these scenes and just kind of its wacky unhinged heart so i'm gonna say kick heart is just on the upside of good i will say i thought about giving it a four after i watched redline which is like some of the things i like about this but on steroids and for 100 minutes instead of 12 minutes but i still thought this one actually was is worthwhile to watch will what about you is kick heart good i am Right there with Brian, although I think a lot of what I agree with is the same with Dan. Yeah, I love the animation, um, but that's about all it has going for it. The comedy bits didn't really hit for me. Obviously, I, I didn't really connect with the sort of a BDSM theme. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it's probably my least favorite Masaki Yuasa work. I think part of my uh, reticence to give it a higher rating comes with my familiarity with him. I think he's normally known to be a pretty deft writer. So the fact that this is pretty sparse on the writing takes it down a notch in my view. But yeah, so a four for me as well. So we have a a four and a five and a four for Kickheart. Moving on to the first feature we watched, A Silent Voice from 2016. So, Brian, is this film 
directed by Nayako Yamada from 2016 about Shoya and Shoko. Good. So maybe with distance, my opinion will change, but I really, really like this one. I am actually going to give it a seven out of eight. Exceptionally good. Uh, when the X's fell away at the end, like my heart swelled. Uh, I was, I just found myself invested in it as it went along. And this was the one that was the quote unquote Dan movie that I, I picked up on that early on. And so I'm interested to hear what, what you both have to say, but, uh, yeah, it won me over. Yeah. This one was, I think I mentioned a big roller coaster for me. I could definitely admire, uh, the craft of it, the storytelling of it. And there were moments that really resonated for me. I particularly liked kind of the lighter moments when people were being happy and like bonding. I thought it captured that well, which is not a huge part of the story. It's a lot of drama, <laughs> but even that works too. And there's some cool imagery like the X's over the people that he's connect disconnected with and stuff and really well done animation. And Will, thanks for pointing out the sound design. I think that kind of, I missed that to some extent by nature of it being subbed and i don't really process the the talking i think that made it harder for me to process the sound design there were times where i just thought it kind of dragged and i didn't care about the characters and then there were times that it, it really worked and so i was kind of floating up and down between a four and a five and a six as this movie went and i'm gonna land in the middle there i'm gonna give this a good i think if i watched it again i might get a little more out of it but a combination of me uh, really liking a lot of the construction of it and the animation of it. And then also feeling like the story was a little overwrought and hard for me to, to stay fully invested in for the two plus hours. I'm going to give it a good. What about you, Will? Is a silent voice from 2016 good? Yeah, I think from our discussion, you can guess I'm going to be a little bit warmer on it than Dan there. Um, quite love this movie. I think uh, there's a lot that is great about it. Like I, I think the presentation is fantastic, especially um, like I can follow it along, uh, follow along with it. I think better the first time I was very confused at certain points, definitely. But now that I've watched it three times, I can follow along really well and appreciate a lot of the presentation decisions, whether it be the sound design or the flashback, the use of the flashbacks. And I, I think if I was judging individual parts of it, I do think that the, that opening 30 minutes or like 24, 25 minutes, whatever it is. Although it's difficult to watch, I think it is basically flawlessly put together. So if, if I was judging just that part, I would give it a toward a good an eight. But as a whole, I think there are parts where it's drag drags, and I think it's a, a couple of the side characters kind of get lost in the flow of things. And I do think that there is something holding it back from being a true masterpiece in my mind. So I'm going to land with Brian here and give this a middling to high seven out of eight. And I do think it has a very strong and complex thematic core that even after watching it three times, I, I still have to think about like what they're trying to say here and the ambiguity of whether what uh, Shoya is doing is self-serving or legitimately good or whether it matters either way. So yeah, seven out of eight for me. Cool. I do think it was a little long. I think pretty easily could have trimmed 20 minutes. The flaws of being an adaptation of a seven-volume manga, I suppose. Try to get as much as you can in there. Is House of Small Cubes from 2008. Academy Award winner for Best Animated Short. Good. So I think I'm a little biased just because I had one picture in my mind of what I thought this film might be. Uh, I'm coming down on a high five out of eight. Good. Uh, I did enjoy it. I think I would recommend it. I mean, it's an Oscar winner. So if you're an Oscar completionist, you're going to log this one at some point. Uh, but it, it's nice. Um, the animation is good. It's interesting. It's not the style that I would expect from a Japanese cartoon. I kind of wanted to know whether the flood was 100% literal. But I don't know how they <laughs> how they would tell me that. Um, what did you guys think? So I adored this. I was just kind of watching without really thinking too much about it. And then like 
four minutes in, he starts swimming down and he starts getting flooded with memories of the past. And it like socked me in my jaw like seven times in a row. And it's just this, it's kind of minimal in the way that it, it has no dialogue, but it has this, this plinking piano score um, with just a little bit of strings in there and really beautiful. I do like the animation. It didn't knock my socks off, but really pretty. But man, I choked up hard. Like I, I tears are running down my cheeks. I mean, I, I don't know why this one hit me in particular. I think this is a masterpiece. I'm going to give this a tour to good. I think it is outstanding. I think it is one of the best animated shorts that I've, I've seen in, in years and years. And um, I, man, I want to just go and watch it again and see if I'm just, I don't know, like got like a weird, uh, what is it called when you like trip a circuit breaker or something? Like did something weird go off in my head when I watched this and I re- reacted that strongly to it? I don't know. Maybe it's just a weird moment or something. And am I going to still going to react to it as much as I did? I go back to the connection to the opening of up. It's like, it kind of hit the same thing for me, but whereas that one, I at least feel like a little gross because it's got the infertility, not gross, but like sad and like uh, despair at the infertility aspect of that one. This one is just like looking back on a life and the passage of time and also grief is sort of it depression and in the water and like being kind of subsumed in it and man just really powerful and even the image of the house getting more and more narrow as time passes gave me chills too so masterpiece tore to good that's the house of small cubes give me more cubes next time (laughs) (laughs) what about you will for me i think i'm probably somewhere between you two i think I don't know if this is reading too much into it. The fact that Dan has a spouse and children could perhaps play in up the uh, emotional significance of the reflection on a life, including a spouse and children, compared to me and Brian, who are spouseless. I mean, I, I think you're absolutely onto something, Will. I'm thinking the same thing, that the reason that I connect to the the story of Shoya trying to make friends and, and not be such a loner resonates with me. Whereas the, the family life is resonating with Dan. I think there's definitely an emotional core to that. Yeah. So I, I don't think there's really anything for me to criticize about this. I, I love it. I love it in a sense that it's a short, I it didn't, it obviously didn't hit me the same way it, did, it hit Dan, but I don't, I like the music. The visuals are great. And you know, if I was, making a short list of uh, get it a short list of shorts to uh show my friends this would probably be close to the top of it if not at the top of it just because it's short it's striking and it uh hits all the beats pretty well for what it's going for and i think it's resonant in its way although because of my personal distance from some of the more resonating moments it doesn't hit me in quite the same way so for that uh, i think we'll give it a high six i think is what yeah i'm gonna land on a, a high six i love like the music a lot the visuals are interesting um and thematically i think it lands what it's going for but it just doesn't uh quite gut punch me as it did dan i had no tears streaming down my face when i watched it just a you know i was smiling felt something in my gut no tears though and that brings us to red line the second feature in the fourth film that we watched Wacky Racers in Space anime movie, 2009, directed by Takeshi Koike. Brian, is this one good? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say this one is very good. Six out of eight. It's super colorful and dynamic. Uh, Very crowded, crazy movie. So, like, I almost, I I felt a little overwhelmed, and, like, I felt pressure that I was going to have to rate this one highest, because it's like, oh, I feel like this one was picked for me, and this was the one I had actually seen previously, and so I I felt like I would need to kind of be a spokesman for it. Uh, It's good. I would recommend it. The animation is beautiful. Lots of interesting characters, uh, just, like, moments that you don't expect. You're frequently surprised. Uh, It's good. The busyness may hold it back just a hair from ranking even higher, uh, but I recommend it. I'm right there with you, Brian. Overwhelmed by the visuals of it, just really enamored with it, and also 
a little numbed to it. It's maybe a little bit too much, but it also isn't. Like, I, I don't know. I really was digging it. I was vibing it. And I, I'm like right on the edge of a six and a seven. Um, I'm I'm just going to land on the highest of sixes just because I got to say, Funky Boy felt really dumb <laughs> to me and the pacing of it. Mostly just was like, oh, he's now he's resurrected. I was like, what the hell is going on in this like story? That was the moment where it felt to me like the movie had lost control of its thread. It was just like throwing shit out there. It's not that I disliked it, but that was the moment where I was like, all right, this is just a big bunch of stuff, maybe. But because it does kind of tell a story and the things feed into the story mostly, even as much as it's like random and out there. But nothing in the first 50 minutes had prepared us for kaiju biological weapon to pop out. So. Anyways, that I'll I'll repeat that I I have I, I enjoyed Art's time spent with Funky Boy and wouldn't <laughs> mind a Funky Boy spinoff where such a film created, but um, top of the line six for me. What about you, Will? Yeah, I think my fondness for Funky Boy is tied ninety ninety five percent to the fact that his name is Funky Boy. Uh, <laughs> uh, other than that, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you there where he upsets the pace. Yeah, for me, I'm in a very similar place to you guys. For a while, I was thinking I was waffling between a six and a seven, and I think I'm going to end up on a low seven because it is busy and confusing and all over the place. However, it is unapologetic about that. It's not trying to make sense. If it were trying to make sense, it would be more of a flaw. But the fact that it's like his car can blow up and you're like, yeah, OK, that makes sense. It's like it doesn't, there's no explanation needed for a lot of it. As long as you can follow the central thesis of the red line is a race. Um, you're, you're basically there. So, um, yeah, I'm going to land on a pretty low seven there, but still phenomenal movie. The biggest hiccup for me is, yeah, the pace, sort of abrupt pace shift with Funky Boy, um, especially because it's like the, the soundtrack is super upbeat and then it's all, all of a sudden like Godzilla theme when Funky Boy shows up and is like screaming and shooting lasers at every. I'm like, okay, I guess, I guess. Uh, but yeah, so for me, a low seven for Red Line. Yeah, I'm already feeling like I should have just jumped for the seven. It's like, I don't know, I'm I'm right I can't decide. So anyways, I already said six, so it's it's locked in. But yeah, that was our our anime extravaganza, our sampler platter. Uh, we liked them. Uh, only two fours among fours or lower among 12 ratings given. So I would I would wouldn't call it a poo poo platter, as it were. Who ordered the poo poo platter? What is that from? A bug's life. Bug's life. Bug's life. That's right. <laughs> But yeah, so these, uh, like I said, this these anime flicks I picked because they're all sort of like my, like 2008 to 2016, that was when I was a big anime fan, and you guys, I'm sad that I picked something that Brian had already seen, but at the same time, I'm not, because Red Line is fantastic, but uh, um, I was hoping to kind of uh, give you guys some, just a little bit more exposure to different kinds of anime that's not Studio Ghibli or Death Note. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you did that, I think. I agree, yeah. There's a lot of good uh, anime films out there and obviously television shows. So yeah, from the same year that Silent Voice came out was the highest at the time, highest grossing anime film of all time, which I almost picked, which is Your Name. Also pretty good. I bet you that one's a little bit more straightforward. I think Dan would appreciate that one perhaps more than a Silent okay. Voice. Straightforward. Isn't there like time travel stuff in that one? or It's like different timelines or something. It is, but it's very uh, easy to follow along what's happening. Okay. There's some twisting and turning okay. with the time travel stuff, but it's very, uh, you know, you get it quickly. There's no, like, side characters you have to keep. The, the two main characters aren't named Shoya and Shoko, so that should uh, <laughs> uh, immediately set it apart. Oh, all right. Well, yeah, that gives it a boost. So, yeah, thanks, Will. And then, Brian, I think it's your turn to pick. Is that right? I think so, if I read the calendar right. Yeah. So... While I was watching Redline, I was thinking, this reminds me of a lot of stuff. And I, I mentioned Wacky Races. I mentioned a few other things, Rick and Morty. Uh, but another thing it made me think of is another movie about a race held in space. It's Chuck E. Cheese in the Galaxy 5000, Dan. <laughs> okay. Chuck E. Cheese as in Chuck E. Cheese. As in Charles E. Cheese. Yes. <laughs> yes. Charles Entertainment Cheese himself. 
in his feature length debut, I believe. It was a movie that they sold on VHS tape. And uh, my brother introduced me to it. So, cool. yeah. Chuck E. Cheese in the Galaxy 5000. <laughs> you're telling me you're telling me Chuck E. Cheese in the Galaxy 5000 didn't get a widespread theatrical release? <laughs> Unfortunately, no, but I thought when better, you know, I, I had some ideas going in of what, what I might pick next, but I feel like no time is going to be more perfect than to follow up Redline with Galaxy 5000. Well, I'm, I'm glad it could be an inspiration for you. <laughs> Unlike... Thomas and the Magic Railroad, this one didn't get a wide release. <laughs> I have a question. Is there any character named Funky Boy in uh, the Chuck E. Cheese in the Galaxy 5000? I feel like it could fit, almost. <laughs> yeah, there's a Dr. Zoom. You know by the fact that I gave Thomas the Tank Engine a 1 out of 8 that there's no character named Funky Boy in it, because that immediately raises the floor up from 1 to 2. <laughs> <laughs> and Machine Head as well. And also, there's no, there's no world named Robo World. <laughs> no, no Robo World in Thomas the Tank Engine. Actually, <laughs> you think about it, Sodor kind of is, in some ways, a Robo World, because you have these sentient trains. Are they also um, basically Nazis, like the Robo World denizens? <laughs> I don't know. Would you say the steam engines? Yeah, no Nazis, I don't think. Well, is it oh, Diesel? Yeah, diesel, excuse me. Where do Diesels fall on the evil spectrum? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's pretty late here in the U.S. of A. Just past midnight, and it's been Thursday for you for a while. This whole time we've been recording, Will. So yes, sir. And happy Golden Week. Right. It's a stretch of national holidays. And thank you for joining us. And everyone, thank you for listening on the Goods, a film podcast. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. Bye everybody.